Mike. Hey, Michelle. Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. How's it going with you? Pretty good, too. Good. Michelle, did you enjoy Radapiarlo and the double meaning or double double it meaning behind the word? Um, well, first let me say I'm super impressed at the way you pronounce that. That's very good. And, um, I, I, okay, I didn't read anything about it because I try not to do that, as I've said on many, many podcasts that we've done. So I'm not sure what their double meaning was. Did you get anything specific or was it just things that you read about or was it something you came up with? I even read about some stuff and I don't know that I agree that that was a very strong connection. So I do not know the real reason why they named this Radapiarlo. Do you have any theories? My theory was based upon, because it means like double, right? In Italian. And my theory was, first of all, we have both of the brothers. We have Josto and Gatano. And um, so we have like this double boss thing going on that could potentially be the problem. And we also have the double of Rabbi Milligan who had to do um, had to be keep his trade twice so I didn't know if <clears throat> excuse me if that was the double um, of course we got double trouble with uh, the convicts that are out Zelmar and uh, Swanee those are about all of my doubles that I got what, what did you yeah, get? Yeah but why would you name it I, I agree there's a lot of sets of two in this season, but why would you name an episode after those things? Well, because the the double, the main thing would be the double, the, the fight to be the boss between Josto and and Gatano, which is looks like at least we're headed toward a really serious feud with that. Yeah, okay. I guess. I mean, a couple other podcasts list some other doubles. Like, there's the double shots through the window when they missed the hit on um, Lemuel. Right. Two shots right. through the glass. There was the fact that Gaetano has two homes. He has home in Italy, and now he's trying to make his home in Kansas City. So, I mean, you could look indefinitely, you know, unendingly and find sets of two. I, I don't know. I'm just having a hard time seeing why they named this for those sets of two things that you could almost, in every story, find sets of things like sure. this. Sure, sure. Well, also, Josto has his fiance. And now he's got Orietta. So that's a double thing. I'm not seeing that many doubles in the Canon clan, but definitely in the Fada clan, um, a lot of doubles. And since it's in Italian. Um, the other thing they did that kind of goes with that theme of doubling it is they repeated things from last episode. We, yes. we saw another version of the jailbreak. We saw another version of the pie getting baked. We saw and delivered. We saw another version of the dinner prayer. 
we saw Duffy and Otis's stakeout again from a, like a different perspective. Exactly. So, I actually made that same note. I made the note that um, I love how they're taking us back, um, all the way back to exactly where we left off, and even seeing different scenes from a different, seeing the same scenes from a different perspective. I think it's a really cool way to reintroduce us to. Um, the last episode and make it more of a fluid continuation. I really like that. What a concept to show about people having a different perception of the way things are. Somebody should make a, like a, maybe a romance show about that. Right. Maybe maybe even about like an affair or something. So there's some secret stuff going on that's very much more interesting and mysterious to me than the Radapi Arlo double seeking the meaning of the double. And that right. is the devil. The devil is back. You know, we had Mar Marvel. We had Malvo and Varga in different seasons, right. and now we have Mayflower, right. and she's a sweeter, prettier devil than Malvo and Varga. Maybe, maybe not so much sweeter, but um, <laughs> no, I don't think so. But okay. But um, she's definitely in that vein of trouble, devilish trouble. And then there's also this weird Wizard of Oz reference um, that keeps kind of popping up. We see, um, I made a couple notes, like, Orietta looks just like Dorothy. She's got the ponytails with green ribbons in her hair. She's got the pretty green sweater with the starched white collar. She's just, she's innocence mixed with a real light spunkiness, just like Dorothy kind of found the, mustered up the courage to speak to the wizard. She's kind of just like that, seemingly to me. And, and... I don't know why, but the Wizard of Oz keeps popping up. Popped up again here in part of this episode. We'll have to, as we go through it, I'll probably remember it. But there's something connected that is, to that. Yeah. That's interesting to me. She is the antithesis of of anything to do with Dorothy. Oh, I said me. Orietta. I meant the girl. What's the girl's name? Ethel Rita. Ethel Rita. Okay. Okay. Okay, that that I can definitely definitely see more. Yeah, because she's brave and she's smart and she's just seeking the truth, right? She wants to be included, but then she's afraid too of the truth. She shows her fear, but then she faces it and overcomes it. And she's like the she's a, she's the epitome of innocence. She looks just so pristine and pure, and she's she's ready. I don't know. Somehow, I think in this religious battle that they've set up here, I think she's ready to somehow protect innocence or guard innocence for people. You know, humanity against this evil that is somehow lurking out there. Like, um, who was it in the last, not the last one, uh, the waitress, not, not the waitress, the female cop. What was her name? I never can remember. Molly Silverson. Yeah, you always remember that. I don't know how you remember that, but yeah, yeah, always trying to do good and just, just the personification of goodness. The names so are always, to me, they're they're funny and super smart. Like Molly Salverson, what you know, what better name for somebody who solves crimes? Is a right. And even in this one, there's uh, there's Ibal Violante, like Mister Violent. And there's constant calamita, like constant calamity. You know, there's oh, that's funny. There's all these funny, like double entendre ridden names. 
Um, can't remember any of the other ones, but anyway. Well, you're definitely better at the names. I also made another note that several new people even this week, so I'm going to try to keep up with the names, but I will probably have them all down by about the 10th episode or so. That's usually about how that works. It's a lot of people to so remember. So there's some, there's some interesting Hollywood stuff here, too, Michelle. Do you, did you like the show Boardwalk Empire? Loved Boardwalk. Well, the guy, the goofy detective in this one with the twitches and the, you call him the OCD, he was the guy in Boardwalk Empire with the half face, with the, had the mask, and he was the... Was he? Yeah, he was the guy that I didn't had know that. To put yeah. on the face, and Jack Houston. His name's... Yeah, I did not know that. That's interesting. And Jason Schwartzman, I found out, is, um, what's her name's son? Um, Talia Shire's son. So he's the nephew of, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Josto is Talia Shire's son. Really? Yeah. He is, um, I can, I can see that, I think, since you said that. I kept looking at him because he's, Really, he he is a great character. At first, the first episode, I was, I mean, I was really, and of course you're put off by him because he's, I don't know. But by the second episode, he kind of draws me in. And this episode, I don't know, I really, he's so interesting. Everything about the guy's interesting. Also, it's like you- he's. He's 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 littler than than his little brother, and that bothers him. But he tries to like overcome this stuff. And that interaction he had with uh, Orietta, that was it was just it was a great scene. Stimulating. Well, okay. All right, Michelle. That's all I got for the prelude. Okay, well, we'll just get into it then, because we started off with this great bleak, bleak shot of Our Lady of Regret. Isn't that a great name for a prison? Um, And that Shawshank-like drain pipe that the girls crawled out of. And here we meet Daffy. We don't know his name yet, but he's the, um, the marshal. He's got quite the pedigree, the Mormon priest, uh, U.S. marshal, a member of the Quorum of Seventy, and which I had to look up. I didn't even know what that was. And evidently, he's like part bloodhound because he's eats in the drain pipe to the lipstick in the back, like that uh, Zellmer borrowed from the woman last time, along with her clothes. And I did want to tell you that you were right. Um, I think that they didn't hurt her. They just took her clothes. There was no indication that she was hurt. But they also found Zelmar's clothes in there. And then she had the woman's clothes on. So I don't really know how that worked for the woman. It's not like they exchanged clothes. So that was kind of weird. Well, if somebody robs you and steals your clothes, you're not going to put on the robber's clothes. You're going to go out naked? You're going to run out and you're going to put on a dirty prisoner's Muddy, shitty clothes. I guess you're gonna not. Run out but in I mean, your underwear and say, "Hey, stop, thief!" You know, I don't think you're gonna put on the other person's clothes. Well, that's why I thought they hurt her because I don't know, but you there was no indication of that in that bathroom. There was no blood but or they anything did. on the floor either. No, no, and and they had the the dogs, the bloodhounds out there looking and searching and stuff, and I guess that's how they found 
their way to that uh, that bathroom. They also started. Dan- the, they started the show with antecedently instead of previously on antecedently on Fargo. <laughs> their um, use of the English English language, which I need help with, is incredible in this. I love it. I love how they do that. And they also put up the disclaimer, the true story disclaimer that they do. Okay, then Duffy goes into the police chief and educates him on the 12 tribes of, of Israel and how he's of the Nephite tribe and then takes out his carrot sticks for the first time to munch on. And what did you think about that police chief in there? He seemed a little goofy, but then he seemed like to be... I don't know. He seemed kind of happy that he was being asked for her. He seemed to be happy to provide the help that Duffy needed. I didn't think he was happy to provide the help. I think he was happy to take Weff off of the job. It seemed really personal to me. I think he did that on purpose. But that was just, we'll see, I guess. Well, that's we know, how we know Weff is on the FADA's payroll, and he's keeping them informed of what the police activity is. So... This screws that up because now he can't do that. Right. And I think the police chief probably knows knows something or certainly suspects something about that. But we find out that Deffy's looking for the escapees and he wants some help from the local police and he gets assigned WEF. And he's called Deffy because he only hears what he wants to hear. That This is a great character. Isn't that a great character? Well, it's perfect for Timothy Oliphant. He's he's always been the kind of the smart sheriff stalker type manhunter and he's and he's really and it, you know everyone respects him as a sheriff so he's kind of that has to not even be developed here. We kind of know he's a good sheriff. It allows him to be goofy like immediately. He can be goofy and still be a good sheriff and we're going to trust that he's going to be like do a good job as sheriff sheriff or manhunter or whatever he is, a federal agent or I even forget where he's from, but he's perfect for that role. Yeah, you know he's smart, right? But he has these quirks and everything about him. I think that's, I think, I, I just realized all the characters, they can be lovable or dislikable or whatever, but they all have these quirks. And I think that's what, I don't know, I think that's what makes them endearing and what makes you really look at them and stuff. This Deffy guy, I mean, it's great. And it's great when he says, I'm called that because, you know, it's, I only hear what I want to hear. And then later on, anytime somebody says something to him that he doesn't like, he acts like he can't hear them. And I know that it's kind of goofy, but it's real. I mean, I caught myself laughing watching that because it was, just just the most interesting thing. Who would even think that? You're the writer of the show. How do you think that? Well, you're smart. It's just, I guess, that's smart. Okay, so then we get the split screen again. These great split screens that they're doing with these big bars in the middle of it. And it was all the end of the last episode, including Orietta Mayflower making the terrible pie and the canon and the Fada families having Thanksgiving dinner and all that. And then we go to Deffy and Weff in the stakeout car. We knew somebody was, but we didn't know who. And this is who it is. And their interaction is great. 
we see Daffy munching his carrot sticks again. And um, we get to see again that terrible, fast, jerky Orietta walk that she does. It makes her look kind of like if you watch any kind of horror shows or something, that kind of jerky movement. I think you brought it up last time. But we get to see her delivering the sickening pie again. We she, see, she acts like when you look at the ring when the girl climbs out of the well and you look yes. away, but then you look back at her and she's way closer than she should be. Exactly. Like it's Ex- not synchronous to t- real time and space. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but she's going up and down the steps. I mean, she's got heels on. But she's taking the steps one at a time. Like, she goes up and down foot up and up a step it's just odd it's just really odd and we once again see Ethel Rita's dad come out of these Thurman uh, comes out to get the pie and um, for some reason something about that made Deffy decide to move on the scene very dramatic all the police kicking in the door Thurman gets to hold the pie above his head for an unusual amount of time because they haven't put his hands up Deffy notices that there's only three people in the house, but there's five play settings. And he goes to Ethel Rita. He starts asking her, do you want your mom to go to prison? And he asks where her her aunt is, and she's not talking. I didn't know what she was going to do for a minute. Did you? Mm, I didn't think she was going to give them away. But I didn't think she was going to be as clever as she was. She could have just said, you know, I don't know. But she says prison. Right. Like almost smart acidly. I think it would be really easy in a situation like that for like a child, and she is, to not, not want her mom to go to prison, feel like she's protecting her mom. But she didn't talk. She didn't do it. They go down to the mortuary in the basement where... They're only able to enter the room after Webb's lights on and off ritual that he has to do. And it's all tense and everything. And they pull out those corpse drawers to find only unsavory sights, but no Zomar or Swanee. Yeah, why do you think they didn't look in the sixth drawer? They did, didn't they? They no, pulled they it stopped. out and it had that no, that bloated was the, corpse that was the in fifth, it. That was the fifth drawer. Then they all got sick and grossed out, and they left, but they never opened the sixth drawer where the two of them were. Okay, I I thought, that's actually what I was going to ask you, because I thought that was the drawer that they pulled out. And then when they left the room, Zelmar and Swanee were just in that drawer. And that's what had, like, what they saw was the bloated diseased or whatever corpse that was. No, he was in the fifth top drawer and they were in the one below it, which never got opened. Okay. Well, that, that doesn't make any sense then really, does it? Michelle, could you live in a house with dead people living downstairs like that? You know, I was thinking about that. What a, okay. First of all, we're talking about 1950 and back then a lot of people did, I think have more home businesses and stuff like that. But I think that would be a rough one. I bet they're around today. I bet there are mortuaries where people live upstairs in the lab slash mortuary part is below. Or behind it or connected to it. 
That's, um, yeah. I don't know. Would you want to live there? I think it would be pretty creepy. I mean, the house I lived in, I was afraid to go in the basement just at night because it was damp and creepy and it's just a basement. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you'd want to go in the basement and in this particular basement. I mean, you know, they're not there. It's just the bodies, but still, I don't know. I think I'd have a hard time with that, but it's just her life. I mean, Ethel Rita's life, she was just brought up that way, I guess. So, Debbie tries one last time to get them to tell where Zelmar is. While Ethel Rita convinces Zelmar and Swanee to not shoot Deffy with her eyes as they're looking in the room. That was almost comical. That was almost cartoonish. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit... This whole thing was a little unbelievable. Not looking in the drawer. Right. And leaving the... Like it, they could get sick after the fifth drawer, rush out, get sick. Like, okay, we got to go look at that other dr final drawer. You know, but they just leave like, oh, well, we... we we checked it out. Nobody there. But you left, you know, you left, what, what's one-sixth of a, 15% of the search on incomplete. You know, you didn't check everywhere. I thought that those, that it wasn't compartmentalized off, right? Like you could open one drawer and like stick your head in the middle of it, an empty drawer, and look and see everything that was in there. I didn't know they were compartmentalized, and I don't know that they are. Why wouldn't they be, Michelle? They're, but there's body, there's human matter that's separated by each separate. It's probably a probably a f temperature controlled too. Yeah, of course it is, but I mean not individually temperature controlled. Probably is. Why have them all on if they just have two people in there? Because it's like a refrigerator. Why have your whole refrigerator cooled off if you have only stuff in a couple of? We, we've seen something. We watched something, and I think we podcast it, and that it was definitely like an open space. It was not individual like that. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I got six separate spaces that they only looked in five and were happy to leave, go merrily on their way. Plus, with the girls, the the the, uh, the fugitive girls peeking around the corner, and the, you know, I don't know. It just seemed kind of quirky that not one cop would notice that, right? Deffy had his back to them, but there were more than there was more than just Deffy in the house. You know, the other cops didn't see them peeking around the peeking around the door sill. I don't know. I I guess it's funny, but it just is a little unbelievable. Well, peeking around the door sill and then, you know, putting the gun up there. And where did they go after that with all the other cops in the house? Yeah, it's kind of cartoonish. Okay, then we see a gr this really great drone-looking shot of what looks like old Kansas City. How do they do that? How do they, like, take us back in time? Probably it with CGI, but I bet a lot of Kansas City looks like that. I mean, really, I bet there are yeah. some old buildings. They could just probably screen out the other newer high-rises and stuff. But yeah, that, and, that that is cool, yeah. the way they had it from upper, higher elevation looking down on it. You know, we don't, I don't think, as we watch TV routinely, take into consideration all, even things as simple as that shot and the work that might go into something like that. Pretty cool. So, Dr. Senator and the older Italian, do you remember his name? Yeah, Ibal Violante. 
what are we going to call it? Ebal. Ebal? Ebal. E-B-A-L. Violante. It doesn't matter. He's. They're okay. both the consigliaries of the each respective right. family. They're the Tom Hagens. Right. They're you, the, the you counselors. Don't know you hate right. the godfather. But yeah, the wise, the wise assistants to the heads. Well, Dr. Senator says permission was given for the slaughterhouse, but Ebal isn't buying it and tells him to respect the deal. And then Dr. Senator goes into this whole story about uh, Nuremberg. What did you think about that story? That was great, right? They had him interview Herman Goring the rights marshal himself or whatever, and they needed Dr. Senator's training and skill to build a case, and he was like one of the, I think he said the last black man left or whatever over there, and he takes it very seriously, and he spends six weeks, the first two in complete silence, trying to get this guy to talk, and he's so proud that he gets him to talk and open up, and he gets him to brag, and he appeals to his ego, and he does all this work, and he comes up with this 400-page report with footnotes, and he takes it to the colonel, and he's so proud, and the colonel throws it in the trash and says they only had him do it because he was black, and that would make the Nazis squirm. Isn't that awful? Yeah, I think it's a good story to illustrate the racism of the time, but I think it's also a really good character building where we learn more about this Dr. Senator that... He doesn't just have a, you know, presumptuous name that his mama gave him so he would sound important. He really is smart and accomplished. You know, he's a, he's an esquire. He's a he's a lawyer, and he was able to build this great case. So he's very polished and very skillful. So he's a he's a, essentially this professional consigliere, who's valuable as a plotter and a planner and a scheme developer and. You know, just a great guy to have on your side when you need to bounce ideas and stuff, get ideas from him, even. And probably Ibal Violante is the same for the Italians. He's probably, I get the, I just get the sense these guys are pretty much equal. They're, they're equal forces, equal and opposing forces. Right, right. They're, they're the wise counsel to the different groups. Yeah, and I think that they're appreciated for that. But he gets up and he says, the slaughterhouse belongs to them, deal or no deal. It's the cost of the transition. And then Ebal says he'll pass it on. Yeah. And that's it. Ebal acts a lot differently than, like, probably Josto and certainly Gaetano would be like, oh, no, they're not. You don't even think. He's like, I'll pass. He's, you know, he's very suave and he may not agree with it, but he's he smooths through it. Well, that, and he's also heard this guy's story. He's like, this guy is essentially telling him, Dr. Senator's telling him that essentially things aren't fair. Sometimes you're going to do the work and it's not going to matter and things aren't fair, but he's going to take this, I think, kind of. That's what I got from the story. Okay, then we see Rabbi Milligan. He's taking Satchel to fix something in Justin's office, Justo's office, and tells him how he was traded and ended up staying. But Satchel gets to go back to his own team one day. He talks to him about like being traded for a baseball team. Gatano comes in and okay, I did not notice Gatano looking this crazy in the last episode. Was this just over the top crazy, or was it just me? 
No, I think we're getting to see more and more of what Caetano really is, who he, who he really is, and this is they're putting the their foot down on the pedal, you know, to show us that he is. That, uh, he's degrees. He has these like. He's degrees more than he was in the first two episodes. And he has like these kind of floaty eyes. You know what I mean? Like that kind of looking all over the place, like his eyes are floating in this kind of, um, oh, that crazy like smile, mean, like evil smile. But he, he comes in and he's asking Rabbi Milligan what it was like to kill your own father for them. And, of course, we flash back to that scene again. And Rabbi says, who remembers? Then Josto comes in, and they have a conversation. And um, Rabbi keeps trying to leave with Satchel. And then Josto kind of turns on him. But first he asks if Gatano caused trouble at the slaughterhouse, talks about that. Gatano mocks him, stands up to him, and then takes the picture off the wall and calls him weak. But he's... Yeah, there's there's a couple things in this scene, too. Like, when Gaetano comes in and sits in the chair, it's almost right. like, to me, I thought he's sitting on the Iron Throne. Like, it's he sits in it, and he kind of he kind of closes his eyes, and you can see him like, oh, I like the feel of this. Like, I'm, I like the, the... He's trying on the Ring of Power, if you like. Make a Lord of the Rings analogy. Like he, <laughs> okay. He's trying on this, this instrument of power, and he likes it. He he, cl- he closes his eyes and you can just see him like, ah, this is this is where I want to be. It's funny and it's it's really apparent that I think he's aiming himself to be in that seat of power. Yeah, I mean, I think he he definitely kind of wallows in that, kind of immerses himself in that. But this guy can't have been in power anywhere, no matter what his braggadocious braggadocious nature is he can't have been right because he's not he's he's impulsive no he's just ambitious he's younger than Josto so he's he's rising up he's probably 22 or 23 years old he's 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 seeking power he's not like I was in power before and I want it back he wants he wants well I didn't know if he was in Italy is what I mean no, probably not he's just a young guy he's just rising up and he's loving the feel of the power and then we see Josto go sit in the chair he tells Josto the chair's too big for him and um I don't think he necessarily just means in size either no of course not and then when Josto sits in the chair there's a couple uh Goldilocks and the Three Bears references first is when by the way also in this scene um Rabbi says my team is shite my, you, right. know, you get to go back to your original team. My original team is shite. So he's not got any goals or aspirations to return and be part of his family. He's whatever. He's got to make his hand play out to his advantage with what he has right now. But he's, he's, um, this three bears thing. There's three bears. Goldilocks and the three bears was like when, when, I wouldn't even know his real name before he was rabbi when he first got traded and his father came to get him when they uh-huh. when they took over he said hey somebody's been sleeping in your bed you know like Goldilocks the three bears and it was the other kid from the other family and that's when he killed the kid 
And now, and now when Josto gets in this chair, he sits back and he looks uncomfortable. Like he's like the exact opposite of Gaetano. Like, Ooh, this is me. This is, I like this. He's in it. And he hear, did you hear the whisper? He whispers to himself. It's not too big. It's just right. Oh, did he say it's just right? He didn't say it. He whispered it. And they almost made it sound like it was a thought more than a vocalized whisper. Mm-hmm. But it's just right, like you know this the the Goldilocks story. One's too big, one's too small, one's too hot, one's too cold, one in the middle, just right. So it's interesting that um, Holly has these, you know, Wizard of Oz is not really a fairy tale. I guess it's kind of a fairy tale, but these these storybook nursery rhymey fairy tale elements on the borders of this crime family drama. And I wonder how they're going to weave themselves in or what they mean, the witches and the, you know, it just, it's so interesting how this stuff is all unclear right now, but it has some meaning. We just don't see it yet. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I heard him say it's not too big, but I didn't, I didn't even hear the rest of it. So that's maybe cool. I added it's just right, but, but that's what you may not have. He might've said it. I don't know. I just didn't hear it. So Okay, then we go to Orietta Mayflower. She's interviewing for a position with Dr. Harvard. And everything out of that woman's mouth, I hang on to. Her every word. I still think that would be a terribly hard character to play. And remember all those lines with all of her colorful way of speaking. But she gets the job. She offers sweet treats. And we find out he's partial to the macaroon. And, um, but outside the window, while this is going on, sits Josto, and he's finger shooting Dr. Harvard's window up there. When Orietta comes out and gets in his car, spying on a chaste and proper woman as she goes about her day, and he doesn't even remember her at you all. You see another finger shooting, too, when the girls talk about Robin Banks. She does the finger shoot. Yeah. Yeah, she does. So that's another thing of two. Um, um, I thought it was funny that she got that job with no discussion at all of money. How much will I make? What you know? What what will my benefits be? You know, what are my hours? Just all she wanted was to be connected to that hospital. Well, she has to go where she's needed the most, she says. But it's like that stuff wasn't even important. It was her. It's a it's a venue for her to conduct her devilish sending people on their you know trips off this mortal coil yeah or you know i mean maybe when she went out and did her paperwork all that kind of stuff was done and talked about and all that maybe that was just the interview but but yeah i start on monday monday i'll be here with bells on she took the job before she did her paperwork okay you make 14 cents an hour (laughs) what no it didn't matter and that was kind of the point i think it's just being in the hospital was what was important. A devil doesn't need money. <laughs> well, I don't know. Apples aren't free. And so does is. does she know him and pretend she doesn't? Or does she know he's not stalking her and pretends he is? And does he know her and pretend he doesn't? Or are they both being honest? I think they're honest. I, I think she thinks he's stalking her. Why else would he be there? He was the one who 
ask her to attend to his father's pain. He's the one who asked her to um, for pain medication for himself. Um, they did that together. So she remembers that. But I don't think he even remembers her at this point. Or does she, have, does she have some special blanky-blank power that makes him forget? Or masks her somehow that she is hard to remember? Or am I reading too much into it? I don't know. It is interesting that she's got some vanity and she thinks, Ooh, you're stalking me. Isn't that kind of cute? Next time, just ask a girl out. Like She's kind of flattered by it. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah... Yeah, well, yeah, she thinks he's chasing her down. But what else would you think as a female, right? Like, he's showing up everywhere. He showed up, of course, she went to the funeral home. That was his family, but there, at the hospital. And now he's here when she comes out. She doesn't know he's in there, you know, going to try to, like, figure out some way to kill this Dr. Harvard. But, well, why can't you say it the other way about him and her? What is, why doesn't he say, what are you doing here? I'm here. You know, she doesn't need to know what he's doing, but she, you know, she crosses his path as much as he crosses hers. But he doesn't even notice her. She could have walked right past the car and that would have been the end of it. She's just noticing him. She calls him coy. And then she pulls him out some more stuff to snort to refresh his memory of her. And then she unzips his pants and sings him the Battle Hymn of the Republic and then tells him to ask a girl out proper the next time and gets out of his car. Yeah, I don't think that ever happened to Michael Scott, Michelle, no matter how much he looks like him. <laughs> Dutney, did you notice? But it's interesting for um, Orietta, she's, she's, she says, go ahead, ease the pain, and she gives him whatever that is, cocaine or heroin or a powder. So she helps people ease, go ahead, ease the pain of life, ease the pain of living, or ease the pain of today. And she helps people out of pain by giving them something worse. Drugs for Josto and death for uh, Papa Fada, whatever his name was. Oh, that's that's interesting. Okay. You can, you can ease the pain, but it's got a heavy price. Donatello. So do you think he's going to seek her out now? Um, he certainly looks interested in her. He certainly does. That's what I thought, too. That's going to be interesting, maybe. Okay. What does she need from him, though? I think she's just... Well, who knows? Because I'm leaning a little bit toward your... toward your take on her, that she's almost mythical in her... Like we talked about, her jerky ways and her evilness. Well, even so mythical, what does she need from him as a mythical demon? I don't have any idea. Do mythical demons have vanity, like weaknesses for vanity? Like she seems to like, oh, you're you're interested in me. You're stalking me. Like you want to... And then she kind of rewards him with the hand job. Like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm flirty with you. It's it's that's got that weird flirt. little that weird little you know flirt mixed into it that you wouldn't associate with a devilish you know like an evil devil. It's she's she's wily, you know. 
it's pretty interesting. Whatever that connection is, it's it's they've got a really good mask on it. They really do, and and the dynamic between the two because genuine lays. I'm I'm sorry. Who who are you? And she mocks him. Oh, you. You know, she just mocks him the whole time, thinking he's being coy, and it's it's so funny. It's just great. It's great interaction, and she's so like matter of fact and I know like as a nurse you'd be kind of matter of fact maybe in some I, I don't know I don't know okay the next scene's good too Loy's walking in to his business and a panhandler's asking him for money for coffee what do you think about that interaction well it's a lesson to Lemuel it's a lesson to his son about right. money and how po- money equals power and with enough money, you can pretend to give somebody a future they don't even really have. He, he creates this imaginary future for this guy for 20 seconds, and then he steals it away by taking the money away. It's like a, it's like a demonstration of power. So how, how, do you think, how do you think Lemuel, what do you think he thought about that? He's not interested because he's not interested in the same things Loy is. He's 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 a musician. I think he looked at it and in his eyes, I saw like like distasteful, like oh god, why do you have to do that to the poor drifter? Like he wasn't impressed with it. Loy was trying to impress him, like it's better to have a real, you know, join the crime family and get a real job and get a lot of money. And Lemuel's just like a musician. He wants to go study music and jazz and stuff. It's well, a failed lesson, I think, by Loy. But it's a good lesson. I thought it was a great lesson, even if it's not great in his specifics. He puts the money up and then he says, I've now stolen from that man, no matter that it wasn't his ever at all. Yeah, he puts the money away. Yeah. You and your Tennesseans... <laughs> Put up, put up means hold it up and show it. No, put up, put it up. means put it up. You put it back up. It was up, and then you take put, it out. And well, then you how do you use the word away? Up. Put it away, is what you meant to say. Mike, put have up to your speak clothes properly. Put up yeah. your clothes, like put, put up your clothes. Yeah, it means put. It almost means like hang out. Put your clothes on a hanger and hang them out in the open. Not put that's, them away. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. But he sends the beggar away and he gives him nothing. The guy was nothing but just a pawn for him to teach a lesson. So Alan Seppenwall says, people making plans on fortunes they don't yet have and likely never will is very American and very Fargo. Is a very Fargo philosophy. People making plans on fortunes they don't yet have. Pretty cool. Pretty smart interpretation is that um specific to america you think yeah very american no i'm just wondering if that's what you think if you agree with that well that's that's the whole credit card thing too or somewhat of a hint of the credit card thing people spending money they don't have people pretending didn't he say something about pretend you can be rich and buy a lobster dinner even if you can't afford it pretend you know be represent more than you have represent yourself a different way than you really are well yeah that's what he's his his whole thing was people don't necessarily want to be rich they want to look rich 
Yeah, so that's all to Lemuel, very distasteful, I think. Like, oh, that's, I don't want any of that. That's, that's jive, man. I want to play jazz and be cool. Well, Zelmar and Swanee are outside stalking out the business and kind of watching this. The, the vagrant walks past them as, as he's leaving. And then we go inside, and again, it's a big operation, and I'm really impressed with the big operation they've got going. Lloyd meets Leon, and they talk for a second, and then Lloyd tells Leon that he's going to make him his son's driver because his son wants to drop out of school, and he kind of wants him to guide him. And he, you know, since you want to be a manager, let's start off man managing him. Yeah, the building's, the building's a warehouse. It's a vending machine warehouse, which is probably part of their crime empire. They probably, you know, get vending machines in places where they shouldn't be, cigarette machines and stuff. But really what it is, it's a sports book where people make bets on sporting. So a couple of people come in and hand their papers over, like, here, I want to bet on Joe Lewis and three rounds, you know, in the fight. So a couple of the sports I saw they were doing was boxing bouts, like boxing matches. Because uh -huh. up on the big chalkboard, they had odds for each boxer. And then they also had next to that where they had results and downs, some of the words written in chalk. So those are like horse races. Like the word downs is part of like, you know, like Churchill Downs. It's right. like a racetrack. Right. So implying there were racing bets and horse races and stuff. So it's a. That was pretty cool. It's a headquarters where they keep their vending machines, but they also have a sports betting operation there. Well, and they also, that's also their same bank area, too. So they got all that going on. The the loan company, I guess, whatever they call it, right? Well, it's just where they have, it's their headquarters. Everything, where all their right. cash is accumulated. Well, Dr. Senator says that God created tornadoes to remind people they couldn't control things. Yeah, Wizard of Oz again. There you go. Mm -hmm. And Lois says, well, yeah, but you can increase the odds. There was also a scene in the very first episode where, um, or second, I can't remember, it was the, both on the same night, but where the janitor in the school where Arietta, Ethel Rita goes, Ethel Rita. Mm -hmm. was kind of wiping off the wall of a, tor there was a tornado like scribbled on the wall like a graffiti. Really? Yeah. Okay, I don't remember so that. There's way more Wizard of Ozzy stuff than I'm remembering when I try to make my point about how that's somehow connected, but... Tornadoes here, tornado there, Wizard of Oz. Story, no, it's interesting. Story being read to Ethel Rita by her pop. That's really cool. I never put all that together. Yeah, Lloyd ties it together when Senator Doctor says God created tornado, tornadoes to remind us how little we control things. And Lloyd says, yeah, but you can raise the odds. And here he is in his sports book where odds are you know, what they thrive on. That's funny that you that you noticed that I didn't I just didn't I didn't get that you know from it as far as I didn't get that it was um, even a even a betting thing I just didn't know yeah one thing if you ever go to Las Vegas and look at a sports book it's a big giant board it's all electronic now but it's a big giant board up on the wall that people on the floor look up to. And if you remember in this scene, those guys are like on a raised platform and the odds are up higher and people are, they walk in, they look up, 
they write down the bet they want to make on a piece of paper and they hand it in. So it's right, right. It's, they were laying it like on the on the walkway that they were walking on up there. So yeah, they weren't laying. That's where the guys wrote. They changed the odds. If somebody makes a big bet on boxer A, then boxer B, the odds change. So they were always changing the odds. But they were elevated okay. so the people who walked in to make bets could see it. Could see, right. right. Like a movie theater. Okay, then Ebal goes into, I guess it's a bar. It looks like a bar. And he finds out that Josto's out. And of course, he's in the hospital parking lot uh, having his conversation with Orietta. Gatano says that the boss is dead when Ebal asks about, you know, where's the boss? He obviously does not view Josto as a boss, and he doesn't mind saying it. Ebal relays that the blacks are now seeing the slaughterhouse as theirs, and they say it's the price of transition. And Gitano just has this crazy, floaty eye look, and he said, okay, then we'll kill someone. And one of the men says, Josto said no killing, and Gitano turns his crazy eyes on him and gets him to stop talking. And then he calls on the guy, Calamita. Constant Calamita. Like Constant. <laughs> Constant Calamity. Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. To shoot someone at the top. Someone to make their boss suffer. And he wants him to take Irish with him, Rabbi, and find out if he's loyal to the family. If he's actually loyal to the family. This kid killed his own father, and he's lived with him since he was, what, eight? And now Gatano wants to come in and, like, test his loyalty. By the way, another interesting Hollywood thing is the guy who plays Constant Calamita, his real name in real life, his first name is Gaetano. And is Ga it really? And Gaetano Fada in the show is calling on him to be the hitman of killing somebody important near the top. That'd be hard to keep up with. Somebody call Gaetano and you'd want to look around. It's interesting so, too that he tells him to take Irish with him, not, not uh, rabbi. Rabbi, yeah. Take Irish with you. I want to make sure if he's loyal to the family. Yeah, which means what? Like loyal to him? I mean, obviously the guy's loyal to the family. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand this, and I. Do, I don't like the way Josto treats him, and I don't like the way, of course, Gatano treats anybody, but particularly him. There's a lot of mixed, confusing signals too, because you're right. He, I think he is loyal to their family, but it, now he's going to appear unloyal because he foils the murder, but he really foils the murder because it's going to cause more problems than it will solve, because Josto didn't directed it was Gaetano acting on a whim so he is loyal to the family but now Gaetano's going to think he's a traitor yeah but I mean there look there was no way he could win he was put between the two bosses period there's no way this guy could win I'm not arguing I'm just saying either way I'm just saying that's how it's going to appear to Gaetano it's going to appear that way to Gaetano but if he had done it it would have appeared like he wasn't loyal to Josto who gave the order so I mean, there's no winning. And, of course, he knows Josto. Gatano just got there. He, no, he, he knew grew... Josto didn't give the order, though. He got um, violent um, Calamita to, to tell him that before. Yeah, finally, before it happened, right. But that was, like, right before. But the thing is, is that he didn't know when he went. And he had to do... Look, 
who would he be loyal to? Gatano, who's younger, who just came over. He hasn't been there for any time. Or to Josto, who he grew up with, practically. I mean, it doesn't, of course he's going to be loyal to Josto, even though Josto's not that nice to him either. Took his little suspender off and kind of hung it down his arm, kind of just to be derogatory toward him. He's a soldier, though. He's got to do what his command tells him to do. He's just trying to make sure it came from the right commander and not exactly a whimsical anger, move, move with an anger. Well, Calamita walks away to do the work, and Gatano takes another drink, and he gets up, dancing to some unheard music, right? And he grabs the guys sitting there with him and says they're warriors, and they fight or they die. And the guys look really uncomfortable. And did you notice the glasses they were drinking out of? Yeah, I just thought Gatano would be a super fun guy to sit next to in a bar for a few drinks. Ah, unless he, you know decided you were doing something wrong, then he might just smash your face on the bar or something. No, I'm kidding, Michelle. Oh. He's a fun party guy. He's not. He's a a Joe Pesci. Like, he'll say the wrong thing and he'll go off the handle. Right. I mean, nobody could say anything. Right. Yeah, so what do you think they were drinking? What was that? It looked kind of vodka-y in the bottle they were pouring it out of, but it was like a cognac... Cognac glass, right? Yeah, but they're Italian, so they so Bald Move says it's limoncello. Okay. And or anisette, like a liqueur. But yeah, it's a special glass, obviously made for that drink. And the bottle, the carafe or whatever it was all in, was kind of made to match the glass. So yeah, I think oh, it's a awesome. very, I think it's an Italian. Probably limoncello is a good guess. I'm trying to see if the what the what the glasses I thought the things I'm seeing it served in is more like little cups almost like little sake cups or something no these were like tornado glasses though they were like curvy yeah they were like little tulip glasses or something so I don't know I was actually looking at that I was trying to find out what kind of glasses they were because they were interesting but... so Gaetano says we are far as we slay the butchers of Tempio Pazania we fight or we die. So, Michelle, did you look up all these any of these places? I did not. So they were subtitled, so it was easy right. to figure out what he was saying. But Temp- Tempio Pazania. Tempio Pazania is a town in the heart of Sardinia. Okay. So, somewhere somewhere near either Italy or Sicily in the in the Mediterranean there. And then the they said he said something like we are, we, we helped Bonificio fight against the Corsicans, <laughs> and uh, I guess Corsica was this is all Wikipedia. So sorry if you're if you know this and I'm just appear to be reading from Wikipedia because that's what I am doing. <laughs> but um, Corsica was taken from the Roman Empire in 469 A.D. by somebody. And recovered by somebody else. So it was like these old Italian places and battles that Gaetano is romantically remembering. Like, we, we fight or we die. We slay the butchers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, this this old history that he remembers and he, like, relishes being part of. He thinks he's probably, probably thinks he's making his way through history by 
knocking off this poor Lemuel. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't even specifically put the head out on Lemuel. He just wanted them to get some top guy. He wanted them to get somebody that was going to hurt Loy, that Loy would feel it. This was Calamita's move. Yeah, but, but they knew it was Lemuel they are going after. They went right to his college. No, Calamita decided that, though. That was not anything oh, that Gatano okay. decided. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But Gatano, I felt like the the stuff that he was reiterating, the, his his stories that he was telling about the warriors was ancestral. I mean, I assumed it was just based on what he was saying and that this was just continuing on in the tradition of maybe the Fata name or something. Yeah, the Roman Empire, the Italians, yeah. the Sicilians, Sardinian, you know, like the, that whole region is his blood. So up in the attic, Rabbi's cleaning his gun. Calamity comes in and says they have business. And he just gets up to go. He says to Satchel that if he doesn't come back, it's because he's dead or in jail and do your lessons. He's a great guy to have. Yeah, I took Satchel. that. I put, if I don't come back, I'm either dead or in jail equals I love you and I'm not leaving you of my own free will. Perfect. If, if I don't yes. come back, it's for these reasons, not because I'm tired of you or I don't like you yes. or I don't care about you. It's because I can't come back. Yes, so he wouldn't worry because Rabbi has felt the desertion of people. So, yeah, I agree. Okay, so then we go to Calamita and Rabbi. They're sitting outside the school. Calamita won't tell him what's up, but he notices that Lloyd's oldest boy is there and they follow him. And then he starts saying, okay, we're just going to scare him, right? And then... Calamity says, oh, he'll be scared. And he says, if, if we hurt him, they'll hang Zero from the nearest tree. And Calamity What do you think about Rabbi's um, educational ambition? He's taking animal husbandry and learning the history of the Roman Empire. Was he, was he doing that or was he mocking? Because I couldn't tell. No, I think he's really doing it. Okay, I didn't know. I thought maybe he was... They were sitting out there, and he was just being mocking. I wasn't maybe, sure. Maybe he was. I took it literally. Like, he's smart enough to pursue, like, third tertiary pieces of information that aren't related just to, like, how do I clean my gun and how do I dodge a bullet? You know, he's, like, right. he's like making his life richer. Yeah, he's playing the hand he was dealt. I, I, I love his uh, little life. Well, he's lessons. doing that, but in the free his free time, he's not sitting around, you know, playing Marco Polo all day. He's also, like, enriching his mind. No, that's what I mean. That's part of the hand he's been dealt. He can do that kind of stuff, yeah. But I, but like I said, I thought he was just mocking because they were sitting outside the school. But you Maybe he was. Could be right. But he's definitely worried about Zero and about what's going to happen with him. I think he feels this special connection to the traded boys for obvious reasons. Yeah, the ones and, left behind are the are the leverage that just get punished for the other people's deeds. Right. And he also tells them, he says, if we do this, it's war. And then he starts asking if Josto gave the order. And that's met with, like, silence. He says, does he even know about it? And he keeps appealing to him, but Calamita isn't listening. And then he finally says that Gatano said to get someone big. 
and they pull up beside the car with Leon and uh, Lemuel. Lemuel in it. Yeah. But Rabbi hesitates, and then he grabs Calamita's gun. Yeah, right here I'm going to apologize to everybody for our crappy audio. Because I'm not going to have the energy to go back and fix all this, but sorry, everybody. <laughs> we'll try to figure this out next week and not have it sound so shitty. Next scene is the pie. Yes, okay. next scene. Zelmar and Swanee are back in the mortuary, and Swanee jumps into that apple pie. Swanee says her daddy built this land. He was a Chinaman who lived in a cave, and coyotes tricked him in his sleep. He had two shadows, one for him and one for evil. One for the devil. She, the devil. So Zelmir comes down, and she's taken Thurman, who's the dad's gun, and sawed it. So what about he hugged and, me a little too hard at night? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's what she said. She said he um, hugged me around the neck too hard, a little bit too hard. What was that? That's uh, so what I'm asking. Was he scaring? Was he scary to her? Was he trying to scare her? Was he like sexually too, like in a wrong way with her? Was he just physically too rough with her? You know what does that mean? It's, it's I'm not none of sure. it's good. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sh- sure if he, if it was something, just being rough I'm not sure I don't know it's got a little bit more of an evil um, implication because it's at night he hugged me a little too hard at night not he roughhoused with me and he bruised me or he you know hugging me too hard at night sounds creepy is that what she said at night I heard like around the neck at night yeah Okay, yeah. It sounds like something's shaking or something. I made sure to turn off everything around me and it didn't stop it. Okay. Um, We're just a mess with ta- bad audio, Michelle. We are a mess. We're a mess. We're, but, but our intentions are good. Jack scurrying, digging a hole through your carpet. I know. I know. We at least have um, refuge from that. But, um, okay, so... Ethel Rita's mother says, who are you going to rob? Who are you planning to rob? She's like, what is going on? She's like starting to freak out about this. Now Thurman comes in and he's going to take them out in the hearse, but they're going to have to share a coffin. And they were like, okay, whatever. So then they're driving out and they're, they're in this coffin crunched up together and they kiss. And you were right again, Mike, two times, two times. Well, the description of the episode is, here, I'll find it and read it. But there's another part of the scene, or this scene before this, that's really interesting, where one of them, uh, I forget which one, says, um, people think houses get haunted, but it ain't that way people get haunted. Yeah, that's what Swanee says when she's telling her story about her dad and everything she says people think houses get haunted but it's the people who get or was it haunted yeah was that the word she's okay yeah like a haunted house yeah yeah she did say that pretty pretty 
um, scary, pretty scary stuff. So how do you know she's a lesbian, you asked me, in the show description? Ethelreda's aunt, Zelmar Roulette, and her lover, Sawani Capps, <laughs> escaped from prison. <laughs> Okay. So that was pretty clear to me why they were. Well, that's lesbian. pretty clear. I didn't. I didn't read that. I just go by what I see, and I did not. Um, I did not see it. But they kissed, and you were right again. And then Swanee's GI discomfort starts. She starts already getting the GI problems from that pie that quickly. And then we see them. They're outside the cannon business. And Swanee's really suffering out there. You can tell she's really having some trouble. Um, they decide to go ahead and go through with it, obviously. And they blow their way into the room, literally, like blowing somebody away. And blowing him across the room with the whatever that shotgun was. Zelmar's talking, but Swanee is suffering. She starts vomiting and everything. She vomits all over the money. She is just a mess. Zelmar grabs a lot of the money, but I think their time is cut a little short due to that apple pie. What would you think in there? Because they didn't get it all. Well, they made a clusterfuck out of it by shooting the money, for one. Or the guy, whatever. The guy shot from under the table with the rigged up gun, and then she shot the money. So, yeah, they got they got 20000 out of what was ever there. I don't right. know how much was there before they shot it and scattered it and killed three people. Yeah, that was a mess. That was But a they also mess. caused this story confusion that Senator Doctor and and the other canon people are going to think that these two things are related. That And she, they do think that. Yeah. And that's not true. Those are totally coincidental. Kind of like the nurse meeting the dude in the parking lot was coincidental. But it's going to have some further implications that are, you know, they're not going to just laugh it off like, oh, funny seeing her in the parking lot, or oh, funny that that happened where they tried to kill my son the same night this other, these other two people tried to rob my warehouse. They, okay. They assign meaning to it that isn't really there that will mean something because of that. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What? Who do you think that benefits? This coincidence. Um, uh, Orietta. <laughs> Evil. It's it's mischief and confusion. Well, it, I mean between the cannons and the fadas. If you were guessing or betting, who would you think who who would you think that would I benefit? Well, I don't know because, I don't know if it's I don't know if that's the right question because I don't know if it matters who it benefits and who it's detrimental to. I think what it benefits is the the desire for the wild card in the deck to cause confusion. The, the crow who gets the two cats to fight with each other, right? It's the it's the mischief making that the the devil gets joy out of causing people to be violent to each other for whatever reasons, even if they're wrong. So I think that's the point. The pie kind of the pie kind of caused the robbery to go south, and that. Whatever she intended it to do, it caused that mischief. Right. Right. Like, what because was the pie supposed to do? What was the pie supposed to do? Well, exactly. It's almost like she knew, right? Because why would she want to give Ethelreda an upset stomach? She wanted her to work for her. It just doesn't make any sense. 
And she even told her, kind of, it was going to be her about the pie. You like pie? Of course you do. You know, and then goes, I mean, I don't know. So, like, when you throw a monkey wrench into a gear, you don't know which cog it's going to break or which gear it's going to mess up. You just know that somewhere in that machinery, it's going to be a problem. It's it's a non-specific mischief. And I think that's kind of the point is she's there to stir up this 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 miscontent, this mischief between two parties. And maybe it was supposed to be between the lawmen and the <laughs> smutneys, whatever their name is. But it ends up being between the lesbians and the canons. It's just it's funny. It's the mischief causes something that is beneficial probably mostly to Orietta or to evil, whatever whatever Orietta represents. Well, the canons are definitely working to try to figure out this um, concerted, well-planned attack since two things happened essentially at one time. But maybe they'll find out the truth. I don't know. Well, they're very wise because they say Dr. Senator... So it's maybe it's the night, it's the time of the night of the long knives. Like this is the battle. It's time for battle. And then Lloyd says, "Well, not so fast. Let's lock it down." And then he kind of wonders, you know, he whispers under his breath, "Should I wake up the white boy and bloody his nose?" You know, Zero, right. the Italian white kid in their family, to right. show them that we can do the same. But he's got right. he's got restraint because he doesn't do that. And then the senator jumps back in and says, opposite of what he just said, maybe it's Night of the Long Knives, he now says, who gave the order, the boss or the brother? Like he's second, giving it some second thought. So it's very smart. It's very smart on their part as criminals to second guess themselves and really dig deeper into why this is all happening. But it's really smart on Noah Hawley's part too to create this mischief and then get them to wonder what you know, don't just jump like Gaetano would be full bore loading everybody in the car to shoot everybody up. He would, but Gaetano has no skin in the game, whereas Loy and Josto both have their sons that they have to think about. And Loy even brings that up, you know, should I wake up the the white boy and bloody his face? And then Dr. Senator says, um, you know, you will bring this thing to a boil. And Loy says, well, they have my son. And he could be swinging from a tree right right now. And then you're right, Dr. Senator brings up, is it the boss or the brother? And I don't even know how he knows. I don't know. He if, doesn't. He's just yeah. being wise. Like, I don't, he's admitting he doesn't know. But he's I like, oh, wait a minute. This Is this, are we really angry at the right person? Right. I mean, I don't know how he even knows that Gatano could be a problem. I guess is what I'm saying. But he says, could be they're fighting each other, the tail wagging the dog. And once we shoot back, it's to the death, so we better be sure. Yeah. And that's I would it. say Gaetano has skin in the game because he's like, the, his ambition is to be head of this family. If the family jumps in and gets slaughtered, he's going to lose his chance to be head of the, you know, the, the powerful family. You know, they can't, they can't blow it. Like the skin of the game might not be the right thing, but his his offspring isn't the one that that is that would suffer. He doesn't have that kind of right. You might be considering that more as a loving mother, Michelle, than these guys do. Because look at the 
look at the look at the Irish guy you know sends his kid in whatever it's the cost of doing this game right it's, it's the game is important more important than the skin they have in it but but they kind of showed us though that even if the fathers can be a little bit more callous and talk about it like it's a baseball trade or whatever the moms don't feel that way and these fathers are having to deal with these moms and they've showed us that too and I mean, you know, and, and it's your son too. It's your son. You'd have to care. You'd have to make wiser decisions because of that, for the most part, anyway. Well, and to Lloyd's credit, he has he has he's troubled that he might have to wake up Zero and bloody his nose. Like Zero didn't do anything. He's kind of hesitant to do that because he's got a freaking conscience. If Gaetano right. was the guy who was making that decision, he'd be like, "Okay, bring him out here." We'll We'll cut off his head and send it back to them. Oh, I know. Yeah, and they had talked about that stuff, too. That's one of the things that Rabbi was worried about, was getting Zero back in pieces sent back to him. So, But I think Loy is a pretty good guy. I think Loy cares about the kids. I don't think he would be doing this stuff, and I think they're showing us that, too, with what he's doing with Lemuel. They don't make him an angel, though, because he does consider, like, is this one of the options that we should exercise? Should I bloody his nose? Right. He's, it's interesting the way it's written that he's not black and white. He's not a perfect little angel criminal. He's like, he's a criminal. criminal. Right. All right, Michelle, this is the last of the hard words to pronounce. The only other hard word in here is uh, nadir or storia americana. I think we talked okay. about this last time. But next week, yeah. it's the pretend war. So, well, I don't know. Are you catching any next ons on this? You know what? I, I actually, I always do. And there just wasn't enough to even bother making notes on. It was like little 10 second of nothing. They showed somebody with a gun and somebody. I mean, it was nothing. Nothing to even talk about. So Yeah, next ons are always kind of tricky and mostly misleading anyway. Right, but these these are these are so far are just nothing. So, all right, Michelle, how do people reach you if they want to get a hold of you before the pretend war? <laughs> if if they want to um, to tell me what they think, I would love to hear it on Twitter at Michelle from TN. Have you been posting any polls or anything? I haven't. I didn't do that, but we should. We should start doing that again. All right, and I'm Matt Scathing Tweets, so thanks for listening to 403 Rado Piarlo on Fargo TV on West Coast Project. Yep, and we'll see you next time. See you then. Okay, bye-bye.